Greetings, lovely listeners. You are listening to Saga, a podcast where a dude and a chick discuss art and animation. Thank you for tuning in once again to Saga Podcast. I'm Garrison, and I'm here with co-host Sarah. And today we're going to be talking about Mirai, um, which is an animated movie, of course. That's kind of our thing. And we're going to be doing Novice to Master, which is um, basically we've done it a, a, a few times, which basically means we're going to sort of go over the creative process of how the film was made and sort of just talk about it, give our thoughts on the film itself, and yeah, that's pretty much it. Spoiler alert, this audio may contain spoilers, so please proceed with caution or an open mind. I don't care. But let's start with the plot of this film. So basically the plot of Mirai is is about uh, this, four, this four-year-old boy named Kun, and he gets a, a baby sister. Uh, Mirai means future, so that kind of plays into the plot, kind of, of this movie. But uh, Kuhn is very jealous of his sister, and he feels that um, she gets a lot of the, the she gets a lot of the attention from his from their parents. And you know, he's four years old, and this is a very new experience for him. But the ba- the the core of this film is basically Kuhn. Um, sort of uh, going through his family lineage with the help of this magic tree that's in their yard and learning from the different members of his family and gaining a different per- perspective and learning to accept his new sister. Right, right. And it's like a very wholesome, kind of touching film. I don't know. Um, I think like nostalgia is the best word to describe this whole film. Explain. Um, so, I mean, spoilers, like always spoilers. Um, there are so many scenes where it just like, it makes me feel like I'm a child again. Like I'm being punished or I'm being um, neglected <laughs> because of uh, what Coon goes through. And I was like, this is so exactly what would have happened if I'd had a sibling. Um, and, or just like remembering friends who had siblings and some of the experiences they had um, fighting, definitely not getting along. Um, but also like the beautiful imaginary land that we make up as children to kind of fill in the void for like whatever is going on in our lives and how we perceive it and it's just like this beautiful cognition of it and I don't know I thought it was very dreamlike in many instances like when you were a kid and you were laying back in the grass and you were just dreaming um or seeing shapes in the clouds like that's like that's just childhood in a nutshell um for for you know for the general population, not everybody's had a very beautiful childhood like we see in this film. So this was like the really good parts of childhood. 
Um, that's interesting that uh, you gained so much positiveness from watching this film. Why is that? Because um, the premise was basically about an unruly brat uh, <laughs> yeah. coming to uh, terms with having a baby sister. I know. It sounds like like when you put it like that, that's like, I feel like most people would be super turned off by it. But honestly, truly, this, um, you know, is a slower film, but it is really heartfelt and touching. And I, I also watch it twice because I watched it a second time right before the show. And um, I think I appreciated it just a little bit better than the first time. The first time was like an adventure. This time it was like a critique. I was actually able to critique it on its art and I'm I'm really impressed by it. Um okay, okay. Uh so do you want to go over like the making of or do you just want to give your thoughts on like maybe what you thought about the film, some other thoughts? Um let's start with some thoughts and then we can kind of go into the novice to master part of this. Or actually, I don't know, let's start with novice to master and then we can kind of talk more about our what we thought. Uh, sure. Um, so, uh, Ma- uh, Mamoru Ho- Hosoda, um, who also directed um, some other s- s- some other things that we've done, uh, the girl who leapt through time, and like one of our very first um, shows during our old format, uh, Summer Wars. Right. Um, and what I've noticed through through the works that I've seen a seen a, of his is that. He really likes to focus on on like uh, the human con- condition and uh, and like family and stuff, and he blends that with like uh, fantasy. Um, I-, I think he has a, a strong, and unique voice when it comes to anime, and yeah, and he has an interesting background. Um, he graduated from college, as as people do. Uh, no, most people, as, some people, uh, with an with a major in oil painting from. Kanazawa College of Art, and it's impressive. Yeah, and he was actually inspired by the Castle of Cag of Cag Cag the Castle of Cagliostro, um, which is a Miyazaki film, and I think that's cool because Miyazaki's really influenced a lot of artists, and to know that he also influenced him is pretty big. Um, yeah. Do you have anything you wanted to mention? Um, there was something in your notes that like made me curious. Um, you you have here, it's, he was told to make his films more like Miyazaki's. Right, so um, after he graduated college, he got work at Toei, who's known for like TV work. They've done a lot of stuff, pretty big name. And um, he actually had, had applied for... Ghibli um, sometime shortly a- short- shortly after that but was um, he was rejected with praise by Miyazaki so I don't know what that means like um, he was um, rejected but but like he liked his work but with praise <laughs> <laughs> well if you put it that way oh man I uh, that's like Getting pat on the back while being told you're being fired, you know? Just like, it's okay, boy. It'll be all right. You're good, but just not good enough. Right. It's sort of like a half compliment, but 
Yeah. Um, yeah. So he was actually meant to direct uh, Howl's Moving Castle, but um, he was told to make his films or to make that movie rather more like how Miyazaki would make it. And he left from the project after creative differences. Hmm. Of course, Miyazaki ended up making that movie. I, um, man, that's so scandalous. To me, that is scandalous, you know? Oh, yeah? Yeah, I just, like, imagine anime junkies like us just, like, I don't know. It's it's gossip. I like gossip. I'm curious to to know just what what his version would have looked like. Because... <laughs> Knowing, you know, how he, like, um, his vision of filmmaking is, it's, like, very um, character-driven. Like, like he likes to focus on the characters. And I think Right. That, yeah. But he also likes, likes to do the fantasy thing, like Miyazaki, but um, it's interesting. Like, I, I, would, I would really like to see that. But in, Only in our dreams. In our dreams. Rest in peace. How's Moving Castle? Um, yes, yeah, so in 2011, he developed his own studio, Studio Chizu, and they've only made like three movies so far. Um, the uh, So the basis of this film is that basically he was inspired by his three-year-old son at, at the time and his newborn and relationship of his, his son and his younger kid. And Kuhn, the young boy, that's in the film was directly modeled after his son and i think that's pretty dope and um his wife when when they were seeing the film for the first time she she said to him uh what did she say exactly i can tell from watching this film you really love our children and i thought that was just so sweet so cute mm-hmm. um actually that just reminded me of something so uh What's his name? Christopher Robin from the Winnie the Pooh books, right? Yeah. Uh, his he he was like uh he was modeled after the son of the author of those books. Right. And what's like kind of like sad is that you know boy because I think the boy's name was Christopher Robin too, just like mm-hmm. the character. And Christopher Robin, the real person, st- st- slowly started to present. The books and his father because you know he can never live that down he's always sort of in the shadow of what his father made and mm. he yeah and that that story is kind of sad and then also sort of reminds me of when we were doing the month of miyazaki and miyazaki's son and how and how miyazaki's son's relationship was pretty much seemingly the opposite of 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 how this man and his son right like i think they often fought in the office is from what we gathered from you know just our research that they don't really get along in the miyazaki office but um i don't know i feel like it would be really hard knowing i don't know maybe it's just like a lot of pressure and some people can't handle it i don't know well it's that and and um like when he was growing up uh his father wasn't around and he really only had his movies to like watch to like like uh his his movies were the closest that he could get to being with his father mm-hmm. and, and um his son wanted to make films like his dad but his dad being the uh, sort of authoritarian that he was in in some ways like he was 
vying for his dad's approval but like couldn't get it you know yeah yeah i hope this doesn't turn into that kind of thing <laughs> that we don't we don't need any more jaded sons honestly yeah so um yeah uh did you have any no. um just a couple of things okay so we did a lot of research um you know searched wikipedia youtube la times the rookies uh com and bfl.org there's like a lot of different stuff i found and different quotes um i guess he didn't have children um during uh when he was making like wolf children so he he couldn't write or organize or direct mirai um until he had children so i guess during uh wolf children which is entirely like geared towards children his he had zero perspective as to what it was like to have children um yeah i guess he did use a reference like he often brought his son to the studio as like a model for them um and uh, okay so i think i mentioned this like i love how they're there's some interesting relationships kind of going on in this film um you know like we see the mom and the dad and then we see the son and the mom and the son and the dad and then uh coon's relationship with a sister um and i think those are all really cool key relationships in this film and i really enjoyed um seeing modern day dynamics in this film like for example how the mom went out to work and the dad stayed home and took care of everything um and how the mom blatantly chewed out the dad in the very beginning of the film for not really being able to pick things up like he um you know he should have been uh and i don't know i just think it's really interesting that aspect and then how Kuhn perceives his parents is really key in this film um he sees his mom as a demon or a witch i think a witch throughout the film um until he comes to understand who his mother is um as a person uh by seeing her when she was a child and it was the same thing with um, his dad, too. He kind of had a brief moment with his grandparents, um, with his dad and with his mom, kind of experiencing the the gene pool being passed down or the the relation or not the relationships, but the yeah, the relationships and how um like generations pass on to each other and how we're all kind of affected by the stories of our grandparents and the stories of our uh, great great grandparents and our parents and people who raised our parents and um who raised their parents and it's just it's interesting to hear lineage and how and just also see how it's portrayed in this film i think that's another reason um why this is so good and on top of that like the director did everything right as far as getting getting resources and really understanding this film i guess he he did a lot of research 
when researching this film like he went to trains you know he went to different scenery uh just to experience certain things and he liked i think there's a quote somewhere around here but there is a quote i found from him saying oh here it is um he likes the western children's literature in which stories are about a single day when it starts raining <laughs> and like that's it and that's all that happens there's warmth uh there's quietness uh of children's lives there's not enough movies not that many movies that are similar he feels that's the quote so i think that's interesting like that it, and that it's true that if you go back and you reread like your old children's books you will see <laughs> that these books are so simple like the the mouse who ate the muffin or the or the mouse that ate the cookie the moose that ate the muffin it's just the shenanigans of one little event and yes i think that's that's pretty rad yeah and, and um going off of what you said about his research yeah like he he actually hired on actual like architects to like <laughs> design the modern house aesthetic and he got like real um train experts to like model trains and things like that and got like children's authors and, and artists on like knowledge of like uh children's books yeah like that's quite cool to like at the the links that he went through to like create like a tangible authentic world mm -hmm. even for like just a few minutes of screen time at that some of things may have gotten but uh um he he was saying he was saying something um saying something about uh like what motivates the the characters i'm trying to find it right so uh Hosoda was saying that uh that during the fantasy sequences like those were the moments to uh to like create character development and 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 that was because uh, the um, the situation that that the character was was put in would like like the emotion would push the character forward not necessarily situation like uh, how can I explain um, so I so I interpret that I, I interpreted that as it wasn't like the real life thing I guess it was the fantasy part that um, triggered an emotional thing to him which made him understand the other person because I'm mm -hmm. if like a four-year-old could empathize um, like normally but it but if it's like him him experiencing it then get it I guess I said right no. <laughs> I basically said no. <laughs> yeah um, he he's I don't know I, like when you try to verbalize it it's like hard to describe and um like the best way to do it is just to say like yeah he has like he just daydreams i guess and it's like experiencing the the necessary steps to confront the fact that he's not the only child anymore and so yeah it's like it's interesting i don't know okay so you took it as he was he was imagining it right yeah yeah so you, you don't think there was magic involved mm -mm. okay but like what 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 would like trigger him to like changing you know like like how would a toddler 
come to these come come to these con- conclusions? I I think it's probably harder, but I we you know when we see later on in some of his like more vivid like nightmarish daydreams that he loses himself, you know, symbolically in a way and he has to refind himself. Um but it's it's done in a way a child can understand, you know. It's like being lost like not finding your parents is so scary i don't know if you've ever like when you were a child um like gone somewhere and then all of a sudden you turn around and your parent isn't there it's terrifying and you have to come to terms with asking somebody else for help and that's when you see him asking the robot who kind of just puts him in the in the way of like going somewhere he didn't want to go but he has to save Mirai too um, from being taken to this place he no children want to go I don't know I, I think it's like he's has to confront the fact that you know he's got to be able to take care of his little sister he's got to 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 step up because no one else is going to do it if he doesn't do it that's I don't get how he can get there, but I'm gonna say that you're wrong. Okay. <laughs> Actually, I was funny because I was thinking this would be a really good one if we had done a Devil's Advocate, because you know I could have been the the one against it, and I I would have just bashed this whole movie because <laughs> I I don't know I'd really do appreciate it, but I would have bashed it if. Um, if given the opportunity. Well, because uh, how did he, because how did he know about his grandfather and like the planes and, and like him being in war and like getting hurt and things like that? That That's my point. It's like, I think it's probably because like of a lot of, well, it's because of a lot of family tradition. Like, I don't know if you remember your mother or father being like, oh yeah, like, your great-great-granddad was this, or your great-great-grandmother was this, um, uh, or they did this, you know, because you, you hear those stories, usually they're passed down, you know, from child, child, parent to child, and you hear those stories, and I think that's where he got that dream from. He was like a, a remembering of this thing that happened. I don't know. I'm not buying it. All right. All right. Yeah, but, Everybody's um... a critic. <laughs> but, uh, on the subject of the grandfather, uh, um, the director's wife's mom, or the director's my wife's grandmother, rather, was a pilot uh, that fought in war conflict and got injured as well. So that's kind of a cool thing to add in there. Hmm, that is cool. Um, any other behind, behind the scenes notes or, or anything like that? Um... Oh, there was a really cool little thing I found on the BFI website, an article on this, uh, that kind of gave like a comparison between the the My Neighbor Totoro Cat Bus and the 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 train that came uh, in Mirai at the the train station, and how one was going to Lonely Island 
and then the other the other one was going to like the like a fantasy. I know they say they say Shades of Pinocchio's Pleasure Island. I didn't look that up. I have no idea what that, that is. Absolutely nuts. Yeah, I don't know. Pleasure Island. How, yeah, like how. <laughs> I don't know how like legit this is, but I thought that was interesting. I was like, oh, okay, I could see like the the comparison between this terrifying um, bullet train and the my neighbor Totoro cat bus. Hmm. Maybe. Yep. Loose comparison there. Um. Yeah. Uh, do you want to talk about final thoughts on the movie, things like that? Sure. Yeah. So, uh, what's your uh, final thoughts there? Um, well, it felt episodic uh, when I was watching it because um, the movie is like paced in such a way where we spend like 10 minutes or something like it's a really, really long time. And I guess that's probably one of my nitpicks is that I think we, we spend too much time during these dream sequences. Um, but yeah, so it's it's episodic in that we spend time in the real world then Kuhn goes by the tree and you get a glimpse into the um, lives of his other family members and then we go back to the real world with Kuhn having learned something <laughs> um, and it kind of felt like a Christmas Carol in you know like the um, day uh, ghost of Christmas future yes know, things like that. I could see that that's that's a good comparison because the last one was like a nightmare version that's kind of how it was and like that's kind of what what really changed and um coon is a scrooge mcduck he kind of is towards his towards his sister and, and his parents uh and well the oh right yeah so the bike riding scene reminded me of like how i learned how to ride my bike and um it got me kind of misty-eyed that was a really vivid memory that i have and mm. thought that was that's lovely um and well so when I was watching this, I was kind of thinking whether this movie's depiction of the parents and the child was like too over the top. And I think, um, well, I don't really have siblings, so I can't really tell or not. And I haven't really been around siblings for too long to know if like, or young siblings rather, if this is like a common thing or not. So what are your thoughts on that? Um, I I thought that same thing at first when I first watched it, but the second go around, I was like, okay, actually, this is pretty. I don't know. I think it's pretty normal for entertainment purposes, you know, to see these scenes and to like get the idea of how this family dynamic is. Um, kind of seems a little bit cliche, honestly, for like family dynamics. Um. I, but I think it's just like because it's entertainment, it looks like it's over the top because that's how it's supposed to be. Okay, and and I guess like knowing that 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 a lot of this was modeled after after the director's like real life. Um, um, guess I'm fine with it. But hmm. I guess these are like young parents, so they like they're still kind of like. Um, inexperienced and like they mess up you know they're still learning so i guess that's cut them some slack garrison nah <laughs> is that that all your final thoughts oh well um thank you for asking um that um, that's not my final thoughts okay so when um that was very kind of you to like wait 
by the way. Of course, of course. So, so basically, when um, when we go to the mother's flashback, and and um, his mom is like having a tantrum and um, like making a mess, her her mother does what Coon's mother does during the present, in that when Coon starts to mess around, she she th- she threatened to throw his toys away. So it's interesting. Cause like you'll 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 hear you'll hear this a lot in that like the child never wants to become like their parents but they like subconsciously like pick up things from their parents and and I imagine the daughter may have at some point never wanted to like be that way to her kid but being that way to her kid yeah that happens quite a lot I think I'm pretty sure I'm a lot like my mom oh yep here to elaborate she just cleaned all the time so i'm always cleaning um okay um yeah thank you (laughs) (laughs) okay all right i'll i'll take your word for it um (laughs) any final thoughts uh that's that's all i've got honestly (laughs) this i this is a really good film um i would say i'm gonna give it a high score i feel like a dork for doing this but because it's such a it's such a cheesy film but it it's good so i'm gonna give it like an 8.5 that's that's pretty high uh yeah that's pretty good um so like i said um i think it was a bit drawn out but like when i was watching it like the first half like like flew like like it only felt like 20 minutes maybe but i was really starting to feel it during the second half um but overall i liked the themes of the movie and i think uh this is probably my final thought. Uh, this movie, I think, could work well as like for to like teach kids with young siblings how to like treat them, and for like new parents, like things to be aware of with having multiple kids. So I would give it like a like a seven point seven. Okay, it's a high C there. Um. Well, if you put it that way. It does sound bad, but don't don't, <laughs> don't call it a C. Call it a seven point seven. Okay, seven point seven. Um, yes. So uh, next time you will be hearing us, we will be talking about a movie who I'm sure, or which of sure I'm sure most people have seen by the name of Who Framed Roger Rabbit. This is a classic film. We haven't done a classic film in a minute. So this is going to be fun. Um, Also, we're going to be discussing what happens next on the next podcast. Thank you for listening to Saga Podcast, where we talk about animation and animation things. Um, This is your favorite co-host, Sarah. And I would like to remind you before you head off that we do have a Twitter, a Facebook, an Instagram, a website, and soon to be a Patreon. So if you could reach out to us, leave us a comment, a review, anything that you like, and we will appreciate all of it. Um, Otherwise, have a wonderful week and we will see you next time. Bye. See you next time. Hope you liked it. (laughs) Come again. <laughs>